At, what at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, I mentioned in the announcements that today is the day of our pet blessing. And uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, as doing a little research, pet blessings typically fall in the fall, around October 4th, because that is the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, now, most of you have heard of St. Francis, right? One of the most well-known saints in church history. He lived some 800 years ago. He founded the Franciscan Order, and he is known for his unique appreciation and understanding of God's creation, especially his connection with animals. And there's this old story that I found in what's known as the Little Flowers of St. Francis of Assisi. It's a legend that comes from the year 1220, when St. Francis lived in the city of Gubbio, Italy. Uh, he was living in Gubbio, Italy, and while he was there, there was this large wolf that began hanging around the town, and it was mean, it was ferocious, and it was preying on their livestock, and when that wasn't enough, it began to prey on the people. This wolf was such a threat that the people would not even leave their homes without carrying a weapon with them, and the legend goes that even if they had a weapon, if you were caught alone, and it was just you and the wolf, didn't matter what you had, you stood no chance, you certainly would be devoured. It was so bad that the people wouldn't even leave the walls of their town in fear that they would encounter the wolf. And so St. Francis comes into Gubbio, and this is what's happening. He has compassion for these people. He feels terrible about what's going on, and he decides he's going to confront the wolf. And everybody tells him he shouldn't do it, but he's determined to do it. And so he made the sign of the cross, and he left the walls of the city, and he went to the place where it was believed the wolf slept. And a small crowd followed him. Of course, they got more and more distanced from him the closer they got to where the wolf lived. And the wolf saw this crowd of people coming with St. Francis at the front of it. And as soon as the wolf saw it, he came running out, running at St. Francis, jaws open, ready to attack him. And again, St. Francis made the sign of the cross and said, come hither, brother wolf. I command thee in the name of Christ, neither harm me nor anyone else. 
And to the surprise of everybody watching, no sooner did St. Francis make the sign of the cross, the wolf's jaws closed, he slowed down, he walked to St. Francis, laid at his feet, and I quote, as meekly as a lamb. And St. Francis said this to the wolf, Brother wolf, You have done much evil in this land. You have destroyed and killed creatures of God without his permission. You have even dared to devour men who are made in the image of God for which you deserve to be hung like a robber and a murderer. All men cry out to you. All dogs pursue you. All the inhabitants of this city are your enemies. But I will make peace with you, oh brother wolf. I will make peace with you if you will stop offending them and they will forgive you for all of your past offenses and neither men nor dogs will pursue you anymore. Having listened to these words, the wolf bowed his head and by the movements of his body, anybody who has a dog, you understand, right? right? The tail went down, the ears became more submissive, his eyes became droopy, and he made signs that only a wolf could make that agreed to what St. Francis said. Now, it's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? And of course, like many of you, you're probably wondering if it's true or not, and I can't say for sure. They, they say that, that the wolf died, and they honored the wolf, they buried the wolf, and on its site, they, they built the Church of St. Francis of the Peace, and in 1872, they were renovating it, and lo and behold, under one of the walls, they found a skeleton of a wolf that they believe came from medieval times. But all that aside you got to ask yourself, what makes this story so memorable? Roman Catholics know this story. Anybody here who comes from a Roman Catholic background has heard this story before? Okay, we got a couple of you here, right? Why? Like, why do you know this story? What makes this story so memorable telling 800 years later? Because I think about this, and since the very beginning of time, I'm certain there are countless stories of animals that have threatened the lives of humans and their livestock, and humans who have taken into their own hands to protect their community and their people. Why are we telling this story 800 years later? We're not telling it because of what St. Francis did, but we're telling it because of how St. Francis did it. He used forgiveness to save the people that he loved. And forgiveness in the story took more bravery and faith than it would have taken to amass a crowd with pitchforks and and guns and whatever they could have amassed. It took more guts for him to go one-on-one with the wolf and forgive. And because of that, we're still telling the story today. And if you want to live a brave kind of faith like St. Francis did, if you want to protect people from evil and you want to experience the miraculous power of God, then we are called to do the same thing. And in our arsenal of tools, in our arsenal of weaponry, in the corner of the shed, there is what might look like an unlikely source of power. It is a bushel basket of fruit. 
And it's the bushel basket of fruit that we're talking about all summer. Paul says in Galatians 5, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, we're trying to memorize this, so we'll put it up on the screen, and you guys can say it with me out loud. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And just as it took faith, And just as it took bravery, and just as it took guts for St. Francis to approach the wolf, it will take the same thing for you and for me to approach a broken and dangerous world with this fruit, especially the aspect of the fruit that we're going to talk about today, and that's kindness. And that brings us to our reading today in the book of Titus. Now, if you don't know about Titus, it's actually a very short letter. Um, You could probably read it in about five minutes or less. And it is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to a Gentile convert to the Christian faith who has become a mentee of his and a companion in the gospel. He is today now a leader of a network of house churches on the fourth largest island of the Mediterranean Sea known as Crete. And there's a few things that you need to know or understand about Crete if we're going to understand this passage. First of all, Crete was known for all of the wrong reasons. You know, just like people know Illinois as being the place of bad drivers, right? Now, I, I, there's somebody here from Illinois. I'm not going to point them out. I apologize ahead of time. But I come from Illinois, so I feel like I can say that. So much worse than that. For Crete, they were known as a place of people who are deceitful. People who are violent, people who are sexually corrupt. 2,000 years ago is actually a term to call someone a Cretan was to call them a liar. So don't call people Cretans because it was a bad thing to say. They were known for the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, which is precisely why Paul thought, I should plant a church there. We should plant a church there. We should have Christians living there. Because here's the thing. It was a strategic island. And so there were lots of people who were influenced in the wrong ways by the people that lived there. And if they were influenced by all of the bad, then how much good would the good do if they would be influenced by the gospel of Jesus Christ? If these people found their hope in Jesus, how would that word go out to an unbelieving and evil world. And so that was the point. And in order to do that, before any of that could happen, the wolf, known as sinful living, that was devouring the people of Crete, needed to be confronted. Now, Paul describes just how bad this was. In Titus chapter 1, he says this. He says, For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group, They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain, one of Crete's own prophets said it like this, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This is a Cretan prophet. This isn't Paul saying this. This isn't any of these guys. This is a Cretan prophet. And he says, this saying is true. What they say about the Cretans is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in faith and, pay no, and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. Now, there's a lot going on here. 
In this place, you have corruption coming from all sorts of places. First of all, you've got corruption being taught by the, the Greek mythology. The people of Crete actually believed that, that the Greek god Zeus, we've all heard of Zeus, right? They believed that Zeus came from Crete. And so they tried to emulate everything about Zeus, which meant they tried to, to emulate his power hunger, his dishonesty, his sexual promiscuity. But beyond that, you also had the people of the circumcision group or of the Jewish myths. You had Jewish people who essentially were acting the same way. So Paul says reject them both because they're rejecting the truth. And in our reading in Titus chapter 3, we outline, he outlines the way in which you can confront that kind of evil. Verse 3 again, he says this. He says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. You might have forgotten at this point in the sermon that today we're talking about kindness. We're talking about kindness, but the beginning of kindness, at least according to our reading today, is coming to the realization that, that we are actually not that unlike the people around us that are less than kind to us. We're not unlike the people around us that are less than kind to us. Just like our reading in James last week, Paul doesn't mince his words here. He calls out the Cretans from both within and outside the walls of his own tradition. But his judgment of others is not coming from a place of superiority. Now you go back to the, the story of the wolf of Gubbio in St. Francis. It's not over yet. Uh, once the wolf expresses his willingness to agree to these terms of forgiveness and peace, St. Francis continues with what is actually the most important part of the legend. He says this, he says, As you are willing to make this peace, I promise you, this is St. Francis speaking to the wolf, I promise you that you shall be fed every day by the inhabitants of this land as long as you live among them. You shall no longer suffer from hunger as it is hunger which has made you do so much evil. The wolf was hungry. But if I obtain all of this for you, you must promise on your side never again to attack any animal or any human being. Do you make this promise? And the wolf, bowing his head again, made a sign that he consented. See, St. Francis asks the wolf for peace in exchange for food. Why? Because he realizes that at the core of the wolf's aggression is a very simple truth. The wolf is hungry. The wolf is hungry. And so were the people of Crete. The people of Crete, they're, they're hungry. They're hungry for meaning. They're hungry for, for purpose. They're hungry for love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And they're desperately looking for it. They're looking for it in Zeus. They're looking for it in deception. They're looking for it in sex. They're looking for it in anything they can get their hands on. And the Apostle Paul says to the Christians that are living among them, that is not the way you are called to live. That is not the way you are called to live. Verse 4, here's why. After he says, we used to live like that. We are not unlike those people. He says this, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. And it's not because of righteous things we have done. It's not because we earned it, but it's because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that by being justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves in doing what is good. Do you see this? It's not doing what is good to earn the kindness of God. God has already been kind to you, and so now you have to continue to be good and kind to others. Why? Because these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Because God has been kind to us when we were just as disillusioned and hungry as the rest of the world, having received his forgiveness, having been reborn by his Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit giving us hope as a well that overflows in our hearts, that wells up to eternal life. Because of all of that, we should go, he says, and do good things for the people around us. And that's what the word kindness means in the Greek. You go back to Galatians, the word kindness in the Greek, it actually means to live with integrity. Sometimes kindness is holding your word. <laughs> kindness is doing what you said you were going to do. It means moral goodness. That's what it means to be kind. And it's not out of a place of superiority or a place of trying to earn the kindness of God, but it's because these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And it makes me think about Christianity and our culture. Today, And it also makes me think about Christianity throughout history. Clearly, even in the first generation of the church, we too often get this completely backwards, don't we? We get this completely backwards. We think that our message of kindness that God has called us into is to go into the world and tell the world what they're doing wrong from a place of moral superiority and righteousness. That that's how the religious will fix the world. Let's go into the world and let's tell them they're all liars. And stop lying. Does that sound hopeful to you? Because that's what's going to work. Is telling them what they're doing wrong and to cut it out. What does the Apostle Paul say here? First of all, if you go back to chapter 1, you'll see. If you have it in front of you, you can take a look at it. He quotes the own, their own people. Cretans themselves call themselves liars and evil brutes and lazy gluttons. 
And what that means is that they don't need the Christians to come and tell them how bad they are, not because we're ignoring it, but because they already know. They already know how bad things have gotten, and so does everyone else around them, and so do everyone else around you and me. And so what they need, and what Elkhorn needs, and what every community needs are people who come in and say, I was that way too. Actually, I still struggle with living that way. I get it. And when I was looking for the right things in all of the wrong places, and I did not find the life that I know I was made to live, I found that life when Jesus found me. And so if I do anything good, it's not because of myself, but it's because of him. It's because of him in my life. He is willing and able to do everything that I need. And because of that, he is willing and able to extend that same kindness to you as well. This is why my favorite verse in the Bible comes after the most well-known verse in the Bible in the Gospel of John. Uh, You know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, you can say it out loud, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life, or everlasting life, right? Right, that's the verse. We write it on all sorts of things. It's on billboards. You know it. You didn't even need it up on the screen. My favorite verse is John 3, 17, because it gives the heart of why Jesus came to begin with. Say this with me. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came not to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. Jesus came to show his kindness that the world might be saved. And a life that communicates that message to an evil, hungry, and unbelieving world looks like kindness from the people of God as well. This is why Paul says in Romans 2, he says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? How good and consistent to his promises God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That's what the kindness does to you. And here's the bottom line of the whole message. God's kindness turns us back to him so that our kindness will turn the world back to God. Let me say that again. God's kindness turns us back to him so that our kindness will turn the world back to God. And that's why we're still telling the story of St. Francis and the wolf of Gubbio today. Because if St. Francis took matters into his own hands and amassed an army and fought against the wolf with the same power the wolf used against them, if he used weapons and armies and shovels and hands, we wouldn't be telling the story today. He didn't do that. And it doesn't say it's because he didn't want to. It says, for reasons we'll never fully understand 800 years later, it wasn't possible. The legend goes that the wolf was stronger and smarter and unbeatable by the people of Gubbio. And here's the truth. The same can be said about sin. 
The same can be said about your sin and my sin and everyone else's sin around us. It was true for the people of Crete. And the only thing that would turn this evil island around was for the people of God to inhabit it and show that their only hope is in the power of God. And the way in which that they would show that truth to the world was not to ramrod their faith down everyone's throats. It wasn't to use equal force to put their corruption in its place, but it was to step out in faith and feed them with kindness. Kindness that didn't just save the people of Gubbio from a hungry wolf, but at the end of the story, it also saved the wolf. And friends, that's the point. I'll leave you with this. Lakeland... um, Lakeland Animal Shelter, they're going to be at the pet blessing this afternoon, or this, later this morning, and um, they're going to have a couple of adoptable pets. I already shared two weeks ago so that my kids were listening. We are not adopting a pet. I'll just say that again. I want them to hear that. But I was reading up on them a little bit, and what I learned is, is that they are considered a no-kill shelter. And, and what that means is, is that they're committed to the rehabilitation, the feeding, and the adoption of every animal they receive. And I read that. And I thought, you know what? God's vision for his people and for his church is that the same might be said for you and me. That we might share kindness and that the world around us might find their hope in their home, in him. And so let's pray for that right now. Lord Jesus, it is not your desire for anyone to perish, but that you sent your own life from the throne of heaven. You came down as one of us to extend the kindness of the love of God by being present with us. By living life the way in which we live it, by coming up against every challenge and every temptation and overcoming every single one that you might overcome them all for us. Even death, especially death. You came up against death by dying on the cross. The death that we deserve as the consequences to the moments that we are not righteous, that we are not good, that we have not been kind. You died to pay the price that we might not pay the price ourselves. And that three days later that you would rise to eternal life and that you rise to that eternal life not only for yourself but as the firstborn of the brothers and sisters of God on which we are one. We are your children. Jesus becomes our brother. And we are invited into your family that we might then live out the rest of our days on earth out of gratitude by the Spirit of God dwelling in us a fruit. A fruit that includes kindness. A kindness that we live in the midst of a world that is just like the wolf, hungry for the truth, hungry for love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And we live in 
the midst of people that are just like us, having that well living inside of us, that like St. Francis, we too may step out into the world making the sign of the cross in faith, being kind to the people around us, that they might see that just as the kindness of God has saved us, it is there to save them too. But Lord Jesus, we cannot extend to the world a hope that we have not yet received ourselves ourselves. 